Chapter 15 Puppy in the Pantry The common room of the Inn Inn was beginning to fill when Tim went down to meet Tarek Pitoro. The fire had been allowed to burn down to embers. There were enough people providing their own heat to pull sweat from his brow. He was a man used to the outdoors, the cold. This place felt like a flissin' hot shed already. The barkeep, Chicky, saw him and waved him round the fireplace, the opposite section being reserved for workmen and a few outsiders. The real business transpired on the other side, where merchantmen with doughy faces imbibed too much beer and argued over contracts, or so Tim supposed. He was taken to a large table far from the fire, in a quieter section partially walled off by the entrance to the kitchen. Three serious men sat there, gripping their mugs and wearing the faces of men who made enormous decisions and wanted everyone to know it. Introductions were made, and the barkeep retreated to see to the rest of the evening's custom. Tarek was the oldest of the men, narrow of face and with a thatch of black hair that looked like it didn't attach to his scalp underneath. If a strong gust came through, Tim guessed the man's head pelt would go flying off like a bat from a cave. Chicky told me you have a business proposition for me? Petoro's voice was arrogant, but not impolite. The other men regarded Tim with red-rimmed eyes, looking down sallow noses, bored and already certain this intruder would offer no diversion at all. I have come on behalf of a man you don't know, but have certainly heard of. He had been instructed not to mention the Hargith in front of anyone other than Petoro. The alternate name came to his lips. A man called Ten. He has close connections to Highest Benel. Petoro's companions laughed. One, a fat man wearing a handful of rings on each finger, lifted his mug. To the man without connections to Highest Benel, if such a creature exists. His mate barked a laugh and met the toast with a clink of his cup. They downed their liquor, trez by the smell of it. But Petoro didn't join them. Where he had been obviously skeptical of Tim before, he now grew grave. Excuse us, friends, but this man is expected. I don't believe our discussion will be lengthy. Go stir up trouble at Keel's table for a while. The effect of his words were instant and dramatic. The men stopped laughing, stood, and swept off as if they'd rather be anywhere else. Apparently, when Petoro was polite, one knew he was on the verge of violence. How Tim knew that, he couldn't say. The old man had put all manner of knowledge into his mind. But even so, he didn't fear the man in front of him. Life in the wilderness had taught him what true fear was. Little burbles of tension like this barely registered. May I? he asked, motioning to the vacated bench. Petoro nodded. Tim took a seat to the man's right and checked all round to make sure nobody was eavesdropping. Satisfied, he started. The Hargath lives. I never doubted it. What else could a man in his position say? Tim didn't care if the man was ingenuous or not. The Hargath has moved his center of power to the ruins of Serenhel. The state of the fasthold is deplorable, but not beyond repair. He requires supplies. Why not go to the abbey or make an appeal to the highest of the garden? 
Patoro was speaking cautiously, trying not to commit to something he didn't understand. Wise, considering the Hargath was the other side of the deal. Patoro continued, I'd be happy to train the needful things there. I would need time to assemble the caravan and armsmen. A man couldn't form a caravan without wagons. The Hargath was not a stupid man. But neither was he patient. And then Tim spoke words he didn't know, and his vision receded. The old man took command of his body and mouth. You always angle for advantage, Pitoro. I think had circumstances been different, we would have been great rivals. The man stiffened. I don't know what you think. Be still. You no longer speak to the man Tim. You speak to me now. Seer Hargath? Patoro's face slackened with sickly fear. He made a slight bow, eyes darting to see if any in the common room saw. It was a difficult position for him. He didn't often offer obeisance to people, let alone in public. How can you speak through this man? The subtle realm of the Marcosine makes many things possible that one without the spark could never understand. But let us put aside the shock of this manner of speaking. I require you to assemble your caravan and begin the trek to Serenhel within a fortnight. Do you understand? Yes, sir. He licked his lips, desperate to inquire about his favorite topic, but clearly fearful of broaching the subject. There is the matter of cost. You will be well remunerated for your efforts. This man will provide you a catalogue of the items, materials, and men I require. Tim suddenly stood, not of his own volition. I will return here tomorrow with the list. You will be here at dawn to receive it. Patoro stood, coughing in his discomfort. Yes, sir. Any attempt to harm or waylay my man will be seen as an attack upon me. Understood? Understood. Tim turned from the table and wove through the common room to the stairs. Many eyes followed him. He ascended the stairs until he was out of view. You will continue to your room and bolt the door, the old man said to Tim through Tim's lips. So, he couldn't speak directly into Tim's mind when doing this trick. Interesting. Control returned to Tim as he staggered to his room. Once inside, the Hargath said, Lie down. He did. I cannot continue this for much longer, so attend carefully. Unable to respond, Tim simply waited. You have done well, Trapper. I am pleased. You will hire a scribe named Fleck on Sandlin Street. Have Fleck write out the list for Petoro. When that task is completed, you know what needs to be done. Then deliver the papers to Petoro tomorrow morning. Next, you will explore the taverns in Lower Terraside and begin asking after a man named Marlow. He was until recently a regular among the vulgar throngs in that area. Some lowly villain or other will introduce you. Pay what is needed. When you come face to face with Marlow, speak the word and I will attend to the matter.
Without a farewell, the Hargath released his hold on Tim. He worked his jaw side to side and put his hands over his face. How much longer must I serve you? No answer came. Tim knew none would be coming. Besides, he knew the answer. The Hargath would control him for the rest of his life. The scribe Fleck would have to die, he knew. Slamming his fist onto the straw-stuffed bed, he cursed his life. Suddenly determined, he shot from the bed and stormed down the steps. He burst from the yin-in into a day still misty and cold. The murkus lights atop the starside wall were faint glows to the south. The divide was lost entirely in the gloom. Tim trudged down slope to the cheeps, then cut south, staying close to the ring wall. At the point it met with the starside wall, there was a public stair leading to a whaler wives' lookout. Anyone could come here and see the entirety of Brinstow Bay spreading out from starside. He climbed to the platform, a large paved circle bordered with stone parapets. To his right, a gate. That led to a tower at the end of the starside wall. A man of the watch stood guard, a whip-axe and sword resting on a stand next to him. He held a flick-bow. Tim went to the water side of the circle and looked down. The fog was total. He could see nothing below him. The reek of Cheapsgate reached him, nearly made him gag. The sound of falling water rose to the right. A canal ran between the starside wall and the divide. At this point, it plunged to drop a hundred feet into Brinstow Bay. Beyond it, the divide continued into the water and far out to sea. None of this was visible. Good. Tim pushed himself onto the parapet, cloak fluttering behind him in a soft breeze. Hold, sir, the guard shouted. Tim glanced back at the man who was pointing his flickbow at him. Tim laughed. He desperately wanted to say, shoot me, please. But he couldn't. The guard marched toward him, armor rattling and clanking. Get down, you'll fall on someone. That is exactly what I, I, I. Tim drew in a final breath and froze. His legs would not move. Heart hammering, he swung his arms forward, desperate to fling himself from the height and bring an end to his misery. I said get down. Tears welled in Tim's eyes. His lips quivered. The Hargath had foreseen this. Somehow he had planted a refusal into Tim's mind, preventing him from taking his own life. Cruel, vile man. Tim found he could easily climb down. The guard lowered his flick bow. You don't look too good, man. What's your name? Tim. He wiped his eyes and forced the sobs down. I apologize for troubling you. You want to end it? There's simpler ways, and more polite to those what have to clean up your carcass after. He motioned with his flickbow. Get going. If I see up here again, I'll double your misery, and there won't be death at the end of it. Tim returned to the streets, now wandering aimlessly. The blade on his belt felt heavy, weighted by the blood it had spilled since he'd fallen under the Hargoth's sway. Killing animals did not trouble him. They gave him sustenance and warmth. He tried to make their ends quick, 
but when the Hargath used him to kill men and women, he was not always quick. The slightest resemblance in a passing stranger would change their faces in Tim's mind to that of one of his victims. If a child laughed, Tim saw fear and agony. If a man nodded politely, Tim saw his throat split open and pouring blood out. He never knew why the Hargath demanded this of him. Did he draw a perverse pleasure from it? Or did he merely enjoy the risk that Tim might one day be caught for the murders? Another possibility had come to him. At some future day, when the Hargath would come forward to point an accusatory finger at Tim and say, This man is a murderer, and give name and place for each of his crimes. He needed to end it. He needed to end himself. But if he could not do it himself, how? The Hargus commands pressed on him, as powerful as the instinct of hunger. Tim found himself navigating his way to Sandlin Street. He asked a few passers-by for directions until he found himself at the door of the scribe Fleck. A kindly-faced old woman opened the door. She was plump, smooth-skinned. She smiled pleasantly. How may I help you? I have a list needs scribing. Is Fleck in? She brightened. Oh, I'm Fleck. It's a nickname my husband gave me long ago. Come in. Tim followed the woman to her study, where a wide scribe slant stood against one wall. Ink pots lined a shelf above, and an array of quills lay in little wooden stands next to them. The smell of cooking pervaded the rooms. Soup, Tim thought. He heard the stomp of small feet and matching voices overhead. My grandchildren, their father is in the city watch. They know not to disturb me in here. Do you have something you need copied? No, I will tell you what to write. It is a list of items for a caravaner. It is long. Proceed. He began to speak the names of items as diverse as shovels and pickaxes to smithy tools and horses. The words tumbled from his lips as easily as the lyrics to Puppy in the Pantry. Fleck kept up, writing in neat columns, stopping only to dip her quill or take a knife to sharpen the tip. Tim paid the list no mind. He could speak and think at the same time, and all his thoughts were on the children upstairs. Please don't come down. Please don't come down. It took an hour, and the woman filled seven pages with the list. Tim paid her two gold skillets, which she refused. She returned one and a silver skillet from her pocket. If you need anything else scribed, do come. So now it came to it. What does your husband do? He asked as they walked down the short hall to her front door. He's dead. It's just me and the girls now. My son comes on Tuesdays to see them. What about their mother? Fleck paled inside. The sickness, I'm afraid. Two years ago. Inside, Tim screamed curses at the old man. He would not kill this woman. He would not do that to her or to the... Two faces peered from the kitchen. Blonde heads, bright eyes. Four and five years old, he guessed. Tears in his eyes, he drew his blade, 
None of them would live to see another name day. Tim only hoped he would soon join them in Lumni's wakeless dream. <laughs>